Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Ooh, chapter four. Do you remember what happened in chapter three? No, that's, that's because you fell asleep. You fell asleep? Only people in their 30s will know what that, that reference is. Okay. Just in case you want to know, it's a Friends reference. If you don't know what Friends is, you're not old enough to get that reference. Where? Right here. That's all right. There's a beetle in the house. We live in the country. You know what? There is a spider in the house. Actually, we have like two spiders that live in the bathroom downstairs. I know. I know what you're thinking. What's the matter? What are you supposed to do? Get a toilet paper. Get a piece of toilet paper. And open the window and pop it out the window. Okay. It's fine. Beetles are fine. Okay. A series of unfortunate events. The book. Oh, it's called The Book The Second. The Reptile Room. You can take that off if you want, if your elbow hurts. Peyton really fell super hard today and scraped her elbow and her knee, huh, Pepe? Poor little muffin boo. Okay, ready? Okay, chapter four. One of the most difficult... Actually, you know what? Hold on. Let me see where this chapter ends so I can be prepared. Okay, I'm going to put this here. Are you, I don't know if you guys are like this, but I just like to know when I'm reading how many more pages I have, like, the whole time. Okay, I'm going to put my bookmark at the end of chapter four so I know how many pages I have left the whole time. Chapter four. One of the most difficult things to do... One of the most difficult things to think about in life is one's regrets. Something will happen to you and you will do the wrong thing. And for years afterward, you will wish that you had done something different. For instance, sometimes when I'm walking along the seashore or visiting a grave of a friend, I will remember a day a long time ago when I didn't bring a flashlight with me to a place where I should have brought a flashlight and the results were disastrous. Why didn't I bring a flashlight, I think to myself, even though it's too late to do anything about it. I should have brought a flashlight. For years after this moment in the lives of the Baudelaire orphans, Klaus thought of the time that when he and his siblings realized that Stefano was actually Count Olaf. Filled with regret that he didn't call out the driver of the taxi cab who was beginning to drive back down the driveway. Stop, Klaus would think to, to himself, even if... Even though it was too late to do anything about it, stop, take this man away. Of course, it is perfectly understandable that Klaus and his sisters were too surprised to act so quickly. But Klaus would lie awake in bed years later, thinking that maybe, just maybe, if he had acted in time, he could have saved Uncle Monty's life. But he didn't. As the Baudelaire orphan stared at Count Olaf, the taxi driver taxi drove back down the driveway and the children were alone in their with their nemesis a word which here means the worst enemy you could ever imagine olaf smiled at them the way uncle monty's mongolian mean snake would smile when a white mouse was placed in his cage each day for dinner you're not supposed to feed your snake every day that would make them overweight and sick yeah 
Um, perhaps one of you might carry my suitcase into my room, he suggested in his wheezy voice. The ride along that's the ride along that smelly road was dull and unpleasant, and I am very tired. If anyone ever deserved to travel along Lousy Lane, Violet said, glaring at him, it's you, Count Olaf. We will certainly not help you with your luggage because we will not let you in this house. Olaf frowned at the orphans and then looked this way and that as if he expected to see someone hiding behind the snake-shaped hedges. Who is Count Olaf? he asked quizzically. My name is Stefano. I am here to assist Montgomery Montgomery with his upcoming expedition to Peru. I assume that you three midgets who work are you three two, you three are midgets who work as servants in the Montgomery home. We are not midgets, Klaus said sternly. We are children, and you are not Stefano. You are Count Olaf. You may have grown a beard and shaved your one eyebrow, but you're still the same despicable person, and we will not let you in this house. Fruta, Sonny shrieked, which probably meant something like, I agree. Count Olaf looked at each of the Baudelaire orphans, his eyes shining brightly as if he were telling a joke. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. But if I did, and I were this Count Olaf you speak of, I would think that you were being very rude. And if I thought that you were being rude, I might get angry. And if I got angry, who knows what I would do? The children watched as Count Olaf raised his scrawny arms in sort of a shrug. It probably isn't necessary to remind you just how violent he could be. But it certainly wasn't necessary at all to remind the Baudelaire's Clout to remind the Baudelaire's Klaus could still feel the bruise on his face from the time Count Olaf had struck him when they were living in his house. Sonny still ached from being stuffed into a birdcage and dangling from the tower where his evil plans oh, sorry, where he made his evil plans. And while Violet had not been the victim of any physical violence from this terrible man, she had almost been forced to marry him. And that was enough to make her pick up his suitcase and drag it slowly towards the door to the house? Wait, why? Why is she carrying her the suitcase? Higher, Olaf said. Lift it higher. I don't want it dragging along the ground like that. Klaus and Sonny hurried up to help Violet with the suitcase, but even the three of them carrying that weight made them, made them stagger. It was, it was misery enough that Count Olaf had reappeared in their lives just when they thought they were feeling so comfortable and safe with Uncle Monty, but to actually be helping this terrible person enter their home was almost more than they could bear. Olaf followed closely behind them, and the three children could smell that stale breath as they brought that suitcase indoors and set it on the carpet beneath the painting of the entwined snakes. Thank you, orphans, Olaf said, shutting the front door behind them. Now, Dr. Montgomery said my room would be waiting upstairs. I suppose I can carry my luggage from here. Now, run along. We'll have lots of time to get to know each other later. We already know you, Count Olaf, Violet said. You're obvious. You obviously haven't changed a bit. You haven't changed either, Olaf said. It is clear to me, Violet, that you are the st as stubborn as ever. And, uh, and Klaus, you are still wearing those idiotic glasses from the reading too many books. And I see that little sunny stare there still has nine toes instead of ten. Fut, Sunny shrugged, which probably meant something like, I do not. 
What are you talking about? Klaus said impatiently. She has ten toes, just like everybody else. Really? Olaf said. That's odd. I remember that she lost one of her toes in an accident. His eyes shone even brighter as if he were telling a joke. And then he reached into his pocket out of his shabby, out of his shabby coat and brought out a long knife such as one might use for slicing, slicing bread. I seem to recall that there was a man who was so confused by being called repeatedly the wrong name that he accidentally dropped a knife on her little foot and severed one of her toes. Violet and Klaus looked at Count Olaf and then at the bare foot of their little sister. You wouldn't dare, Klaus said. Let's not discuss what I would or wouldn't dare to do, Olaf said. Let's discuss, rather, what I am being called for as long as we are together in this house. We'll call you Stefano if you insist on threatening us, Violet said. But we won't be together in this house for long. Stefano opened his mouth to say something, but Violet was not interested in continuing the conversation. She turned on her heel and marched primely through the enormous doors of the reptile room. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Followed by her siblings. If you or I have been in there, we would have had thought that the Baudelaire orphans weren't scared at all, speaking so bravely like that to Stefano, then simply walking away. But once the children reached the far end of the room... <coughs> Their true emotion showed clearly on their faces. The Baudelaire's were very terrified. Violet put her hands over her face and leaned against one of the reptile cages. Klaus sank into a chair, trembling so hard that his feet rattled against the marble floor. And Sunny curled up into a little ball on the floor, so tiny that you might have missed her if you walked right into the room. For several moments, none of the children spoke. Just listened to the muffled sounds of Stefano walking up the stairs and to their own heartbeats and to their own heartbeats pounding in their ears. How did he find us? Klaus asked. His voice was a hoarse whisper, as if he had a sore throat. How did he know to go to that? How did he get to be Uncle Monty's assistant? What is he doing here? He vowed that if he'd get his hands on the he vowed that he'd get his hands on the Baudelaire fortune. Violet said, taking her hands away from her face and picking up Sunny, who was shivering. That was the last thing he'd said to me before he escaped. He said that he'd get our fortune if it was the last thing he ever did. Violet shuddered and did not add that, he, that he'd also said that once he got their fortune, he'd do away with all three of the Baudelaire siblings. She did not need to, not, she did not need to add it. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny all knew that if he figured out the way to seize their fortune, he would slit their, the throats of the boat. Oh my gosh. Gee, many Christmas. He would slit the throats of the Baudelaire orphans as easy as you or I might eat a small butter cookie. Okay, that's intense, man. Sheesh. It's a butter cookie. Like a cookie. Just a cookie. Like a shortbread cookie, kind of. Sh- next time I see a butter cookie, I'll show you what it is. They're actually really good. They're really buttery. Mom, look at it. Ooh, Neosporin. What can we do? I know it'll make it feel much better. What can we do, Klaus asked. Uncle Monty won't be back for hours. Well, maybe we can call for Mr. Poe, Violet said. It's the middle of bus o- business hours. Maybe he could leave the bank for an emergency. He wouldn't believe us, Klaus said. Remember when he tried to tell him that Count Olaf, that we, remember when we tried to tell him about Count Olaf when we lived there? He took such a long time to realize the truth that it was almost too late. I think that we should run away. If we leave right now, we could probably get into town just in time to catch a train far, far away from here. Violet pictured the three of them all alone, walking along Lousy Lane, 
beneath the sour apple trees with the bitter smell of the horseradish encircling them. Where would we go, she asked. Anywhere, said Klaus. Anywhere but here. We can go far away from here where Count Olaf can't find us. I would do that. Well, then what are you, how are you going to make food? How are you going to eat? It's not that simple. And we haven't any money, Violet pointed out. How could we live by ourselves? Well, we could get jobs, Klaus replied. I could work in a library, and maybe you could work in some sort of a mechanical factory. If you go to a, um, what is it called? Hotel? Yeah, hotel And work there? Maybe, yeah. And Sunny couldn't get a job her age, but in a few years she could. The three orphans were quiet. They tried to picture leaving Uncle Monty and living by themselves, trying to find jobs and take care of each other. It was a very lonely prospect. The Baudelaire children sat in, si- in sad silence a while. And they were, they were each thinking the same thing. They wished that their parents had never been killed in the fire and that their lives had never been turn- topsy-turvy by the way they had. If only the Baudelaire parents were still alive, the youngsters wouldn't even have heard of Count Olaf, let alone have him settling into their home and undoubtedly making evil plans. We can't leave, Violet said firmly. Finally, Count Olaf found us once, and I'm sure he'll find us again, no matter how far we went. Plus, who knows where Count Olaf's assistants are? Perhaps they've surrounded the house right now, keeping watch in case we're on to him. Klaus shivered. He hadn't been thinking of that. He hadn't been thinking of Count Olaf's assistance. And besides scheming to get his hands on the Baudelaire fortune, Olaf was a leader of a terrible theater troupe, and his fellow actors were always ready to help him with any plans. They were a gruesome crew, each more terrifying than the next. There was a bald man with a long nose who always wore a black robe. There were two women who always had ghostly white powder on their faces. There was a person so large and blank looking that you couldn't even tell if he was a man or a woman. There was a skinny man with two hooks where his hands should have been. Violet was right. Any of these people could be lurking outside Uncle Monty's house waiting to catch them if they tried to escape. I think we should just wait for Uncle Monty to come back and I'll tell him what happened, Violet said. He'll believe us. If we tell him about the tattoo, he'll ask about... He'll at least ask Stefano for an explanation. Violet's tone of voice when she said Stefano indicated her utter scorn for Olaf's disguise. Are you sure, Klaus said? After all, Uncle Monty is one is the one who hired Stefano. Klaus Klaus's tone of voice when he when he said Stefano indicated that he shared his sister's feelings. For all we know, Uncle Monty and Stefano have planned something together. Menda, Sunny shrieked, which probably meant something like, don't be ridiculous, Klaus. Violet shook her head. Sunny's right. I can't believe that Uncle Monty would be in cahoots with Olaf. He's been so kind and generous to us. And besides, if we were, if they were working together, Olaf would have insisted on, wouldn't insist on being, using a different name. That's true, Klaus said thoughtfully. So we wait for Uncle Monty. We wait, Violet agreed. To Joe! Sunny said solemnly, and the siblings looked at one another gloomily and waiting. Waiting is one of life's hardships. It is hard enough to wait for chocolate cream pie while burnt roast beef is still on your plate. It is plenty difficult to wait for Halloween when it's the tedious month of September 
when the tedious month of September is still ahead of you. But to wait for one ad- one's adopted uncle to come home while a greedy and violent man is upstairs was one of the worst waits the Baudelaire's had ever experienced to get off of their minds. They tried to continue with their work, but the children were too anxious to get anything done. Violet tried to fix a hinge door on one of the traps, but all she could do was con- all she could concentrate on was the knot of worry in her stomach. Klaus tried to read about the protect about protecting ones from thorny Peruvian plants, but the thoughts of Stefano kept clouding his brain. And Sunny tried to bite the rope, but she had a cold chill of fear running through her teeth and she soon gave up she didn't even feel like playing with the incredibly deadly viper so the baudelaire spent the rest of the afternoon sitting silently in the reptile room looking at the window for uncle monty's jeep and listening to the occasional noise from upstairs they didn't even want to ask about what stefano might be unpacking finally as the snake-shaped hedges began to cast skinny shadows in the setting sun, the three children heard an approaching engine and a jeep pulling up. A large canoe was strapped to the roof of the jeep, and the back seats were piled with Monty's purchases. Uncle Monty got out, struggling under the weight of, of several shopping bags, and saw the children through the walls of the reptile room. He smiled at them, and they smiled back, and in that instant, when they smiled, it was created another moment of regret for them. Had they not paused to smile at Monty, but instead gone dashing out of the car, they might have a brief moment alone with him. But by that time they reached the hall, he was already talking to Stefano. I didn't know what kind of toothbrush you preferred, Uncle Monty was saying apologetically, so I got you one with extra firm bristles. Because that's the kind that I like. Peruvian food tends to be sticky, so you'll need to have at least one extra toothbrush whenever you go there. Extra firm bristles are fine with me, Stefano said, speaking to Uncle Monty, but looking at the orphans with his shiny, shiny eyes. Shall I carry in the canoe? Yes, but my goodness, you can't carry it all by yourself, Uncle Monty said. Klaus, will you please help Stefano? Uncle Monty, Violet said, we have something important to tell you. I'm all ears, Monty said, but first let me show you the wasp repellent I picked up. I'm so glad that Klaus read up on the insect situation in Peru because the other repellents I have would have been no use at all. Uncle Monty rooted through one of the bags on his arms, and the children waited impatiently for him to finish. This one contains a chemical called Uncle Monty, Klaus said. What we have what we have to tell you can't really wait. Klaus, Uncle Monty said with his eyebrows rising in surprise. It's not polite to interrupt your uncle when he's talking. Now please, Stef- wait, Klaus, Uncle Monty said with his eyebrows. It's not polite to interrupt your uncle. When your uncle is talking, now please help Stefano with the canoe and we can talk about anything you want in a few minutes. I don't like that. That's rude, huh? Klaus sighed but followed Stefano out the open door. Violet watched them walking towards the jeep as Uncle Monty put down shopping bags and faced her. I can't remember what I was saying about the repellent, he said a little crossly, but I hate losing my train of thought. We have to tell you something, Violet began, but but she stopped when something caught her eye. Monty was facing away from the door, so she couldn't see what Stefano was doing, but Violet saw Stefano stop at the snake-shaped hedges, reach into his pocket coat, and take out the long knife. Its blade caught the light of the setting sun and glowed brightly, like a lighthouse. As you probably know, lighthouses serve as a warning signal, telling ships where the shore is so that they don't run into it. 
The shining knife was a warning too. Klaus looked at the knife and then looked at Stefano and then looked at Violet and then looked at Klaus and then looked at Stefano and then at Monty. Sonny looked at everyone. Only Monty didn't notice what was going on. So intent on what he was to remember and whatever he was babbling about wasp repellent. What we have to tell you, Violet began, so she couldn't continue. Stefano didn't say a word. He didn't have to, he didn't have to. Violet knew that if she breathed one word about his true identity, Stefano would hurt her brother right there at the snake-shaped hedges without saying a word of the nemesis of the Baudelaire orphans had sent a very clear warning. Honestly, this guy is awful. Don't you think? Well, yeah. Honestly. What a terrible, terrible person. Yikes. You want to do one? Horrible. Yeah. Horrible and a freaking murderer. Well, he he's not worse than a murderer. He is a murderer. Yeah, but he's worse than a murderer. Yeah, he's that's true. He's like trying to be a serial killer. You know what that means? Yeah, you can't say that on the Yeah, you can. A serial killer means like somebody who kills over and over again. And not cereal, like with a C, how you eat cereal for breakfast. But it's cereal with an S. Creepy. Do you want to do one more chapter? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. If, 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 mm-hmm. if you put your cereal first mm-hmm. and then you put your milk in, mm-hmm. doesn't the milk drown your cereal? <gasps> then the milk turns into a cereal killer. My gosh, you're right. Cereal and then killer. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. You're so, you're a hoot and a half, little girl. How do your elbows feel? Or just the one? How does your elbow feel? It's fine. Yucky. Oh, your knee is killing you. <sighs> Skinning your knees is literally the worst. I'm so sorry, Peyton. I didn't skin them. Yeah, you did. You skinned that knee, and then you skinned your elbow. Yeah, you said skinning your knees. Oh, come on. She's so literal, people. All right, let's do the next chapter. <laughs>